Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. You know, I, we moved out here. My wife and I moved our family out here earlier in the year. And so this is our first time actually experiencing winter. And can I say... When I woke up this morning to come here and it was 18 degrees outside, I was like, yes, I can finally wear a jacket. <laughs> I come from California where I wear t-shirts on Christmas and it sounds good for a while until you actually have a, a, a white cold Christmas and you're like, oh, oh, this is nice. This is what those movies were talking about. I get it now. So... We love being here. It's been about eight months, and it's just been so cool to, to be a part of this family, to grow with this family. I want to honor our pastors, the Tuggles, for everything that you carry, uh, that the environment we create, that the fact that we can actually be here and, and experience life and life abundant is because that oil flows down. And, and I just saw that uh, Holy Spirit saying, because of your purity, there will be power. Because of your purity, there will be power. And, and we just get to benefit from that. The fact that they trust me enough to come up here is sign enough that they've released it all to God. And um, I'm very honored to be up here. We're very honored to be a part of this. And, and it's, it's just going to be a, it's gonna be a good morning. And, and, and I, can, I know that. And, and one of the funnest things is when you come to church, if you think you know what you're going to get out of it, you're not going to get out of it what you could have gotten out of it. The reality is it's better to be surprised by God. So I, it's good to come hungry and not knowing what's for lunch. Because you might order the sandwich and steak was on the menu. So it's, sometimes it's good just to show up and say, I don't know what God's going to do, but he's going to do something. So as, as, as we get going today, you know, I mean, trying to recover from, from all, all the cold and adjust to all that and all these different things out here. Uh, if you see me kind of eye twitching and shaking around, I had one of Pastor Andy's homemade kombuchas the other day. It's still, it's still tweaking me out. Don't have the kombucha that he makes. I think he said it's in his bathtub or something brewing. Just don't do it. Oh, all right. Enough throwing you under the bus. I'll throw myself under the bus now. Now, you guys know I have Tourette's, so I have a little bit of uncontrolled movements. I, I call them my dances, my groove style, so I don't feel as bad about some of that. But, but it is pretty fun to see that legitimately God would take someone like me who spent the first 21 years of their life an atheist, no background in any of this stuff, have no reason to be on stage with weird twitches and all these different, like, who am I to be up here preaching? And yet God can use that and still bring a great word. So by no means should any of you feel disqualified for any purpose God has for your life. Our defaults don't, they don't excuse us from the assignment God has for us, right? Our defects and our flaws, they aren't the reason God won't use us. They're the reason he will use us. Because if you have something in your life that feels like, and I'm not talking like things, things that are 
bad and things that are heavy, but if there's something in your life you feel like this disqualifies me, you're ruling out grace and you're saying that your life's calling can only be fulfilled in your strength and in your goodness. Where's God in that? God wants us to recognize our shortcomings, give them to him and say, I may think I'm here and you called me here. Let's go. It's his, in my weakness, he is strong. And so those shortcomings actually invite God in to, to what he ultimately wants to do. So please don't ever feel disqualified from anything God wants to do in you because of the things that you've experienced, the things that you carry. It, it really doesn't matter. You are allowed to use things as explanations, but they are never allowed to be excuses. When you became a Christian, you turned in your victim card. Okay? Because you now work with the king of all who's won every victory. So if you're walking around as a victim, you're telling him it wasn't good enough for me. So let's just get that on the table. And we're going to have a great day. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. All right, as we get rolling today, we are in the series, It's a Wonderful Life. Love the Christmas season. Love that it began before Halloween even happened. And, and that we're, we're, we're enjoying the holiday season. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, and, and um, Jesus was born in spring, so doesn't matter. We'll celebrate anyways in December because that's, that's when we get off of work. But as we go into the series, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anyone ever seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? It's a great movie. It's a classic movie. It's about a guy who's experiencing hard times in his life. And he doesn't know how to find a way out of it. So he thinks the only way out is to remove myself from the equation. So literally, he tries to jump off a bridge and commit suicide. And something happens, and he, you know, an angel intervenes, and they have this conversation. He's like, I wish I would never would have been born. Because that's the only solution I see to this problem. The ironic thing about such a self-defeating statement is it's one of the most prideful statements in the world. By him saying, I wish I never would have been born, he's saying God's plan was so bad. God doesn't know any better. I know better. What did he even do creating me and putting me in this world? I'm going to play God. I know that the world would have, if I know how things should have gone, and in his case, it was the world should have existed without me. And God, through the angel, had to show him his life through a different lens. And by the end of it, he realizes, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. God, you knew, you knew what was right and my perception was wrong. You weren't wrong. But I had this, this steadfast expectation of what the right idea was. Wow. And I was fixated on it. Wow. And it was a matter of perception. Yeah, right. It was a matter of sight. And it, we get into that problem a lot. I mean, we come with these assumptions and expectations all the time of what God should do in any given moment. And when it doesn't happen that way, we change our theology. We change our perspective. We adjust our relationship. Um, I've seen so, I've counseled and ministered to so many people who don't get breakthrough because they hold God in contempt. Did you know in Isaiah 55, it says God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Can we pull that verse up in Isaiah? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, God always has a higher thought than you. He's smarter than you. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. Sometimes we read that and we say, well, why even try? God's just, I, I'm just not going to know it's enough, as much as God anyways. But the reality is, God wants us to elevate our thinking. There's books on wisdom in the Bible. He wants us to elevate our thinking. So the idea isn't, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, why even try? It's the more we elevate our thinking, he loves that, and he'll elevate our thinking even more. See, the more that we actually choose to elevate our perception of the world from him, he'll come on and say, and then, and then, and, and then. And God will actually always seek to exceed the thoughts that you have about the world. So please elevate your thinking and then watch as God takes it a step further. Come on. Is that okay? Yeah. So, so it's interesting that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts because like I said, we take experiences and we take expectations and we begin to shift our theology, we begin to shift our experience of life accordingly. Um, and it's, it's more obvious than you think. We just had an election. It didn't go the way a lot of people predicted it would go. And it'd be so easy to say, God, that was a perfect opportunity for you to do exactly what I wanted you to do. Why didn't you do that? I know what was right. And God's saying, well, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Did you come up and ask me what might be going on? Maybe you were thinking there's a shortcut here and I could have snapped my fingers and fixed things in election and nothing would have changed in the hearts of men. I don't know. Maybe in your life, you keep brushing up against breakthrough. For me, it's, I've dealt with this at work with promotions. It's, all right, God, I feel like I'm ready. It's promotion time. Here comes the opportunity, and there it goes. And here comes an opportunity, and there it goes. God, how did you not think of that? Look, I'm telling you, this would have been the perfect opportunity for you to intervene. It's like, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, my gosh. No. Or is it? that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Right. It is so tempting to write, rewrite the rules of reality based on our expectations wow. because we're living at our level of thought. Wow. Okay, so the, the, the question on the table is whose thoughts are you looking through? Even, even, even Jesus. God, you know, you want proof of God? Proof of God is everywhere. Atheism is dead. I'm sorry, like... There are so many proofs of God that you, you, we can get into. You can talk about things like DNA is a written language that literally declares who you are. You can look at things like the, the mathematical impossibility of, of life. Did you realize if the moon was two miles further from Earth, life would seize on Earth? Like the, the, the fine-tuned nature of the very universe is so... You can't deny the presence of God. Just like you actually can't deny that Jesus was a person. Hit people of all cultures all recognize, oh yeah, that Jesus guy, he lived. So the question isn't, was Jesus real? The question is, who is the real Jesus? See, the problem we butt up against isn't, is Jesus real? It's, who is the Jesus that I interact with? Who is the Jesus that is in my gospel? Which God is in your gospel? And you know who I think encapsulates this question better than anyone else? the book of John. Anyone ever read the book of John cover to cover? It's, it's, it's really intriguing. And I actually started to get into this about a month ago. Was anyone there on that Wednesday service when I, I talked about the book of John? Awesome. So we're going to open that up again. What I like about the book of John, most of the gospels, they'll bring you through genealogies or prophetic 
things from the early prophets saying, this is who Messiah shall be. Or here's all the, the finite details of every little thing that Jesus did. And John says, I, I really don't care about that. What I know the main, remember, John wrote his gospel after the other three were written. What John realized in his wisdom and in his old age as he wrote the gospel of John was, there's one central problem to the gospel. Jesus is real, but everyone thinks he's someone different. And what they expected him to be impacts what they received from him. So the entire book of John sets up two things. Number one, who is the real Jesus? And number two, what filters do we use to look at that? In fact, not a single person in the book of John, including all disciples, John the Baptist, not a single person really knew who Jesus was. They, they didn't. No one got it right. But that's okay. What I want to talk to you about is what filters we use to see Jesus and how that actually affects our relationship with him and therefore our breakthroughs. I am obsessed with freedom but so that we can take territory. I'm actually more obsessed with the kingdom gaining ground. The only way that happens is through freedom. So this message is, will hopefully set some of you free so we can understand the pathways to taking ground. And it's not always what you think. Does that make sense? So let's, let's open the book of John. Let's start in the beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1, and let's talk about who is this Jesus that is real. So John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Remember, the Word is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That last verse. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus came into a dark world, and the dark world could not comprehend him. That's literally what that's saying. John is telling you off the bat, the problem wasn't Jesus coming. It's that people didn't know what to do with it. Think about this. John tells the most ridiculous miracle stories. He doesn't tell every miracle story. He only tells the crazy ones. He tells the stories of Jesus feeding 5,000. Jesus walking on water. right? Jesus healing paralytics left and right. Jesus turning water into wine. He only picks the most wild miracles. And then he he chooses a lot of the statements. There, see, there's a lot of descriptors. In the book of John, Jesus continues to say, I am, and he says what he is. Because he's trying to say, hey, I'm gonna present to you a Jesus beyond your comprehension to see how you respond to it. So get this. In, in John, it says, Jesus says, I am a living water. I am light. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am a resurrection. I am the glory and image of the Father. I am the vine. He has all these things. Oh, seriously, go back and read the book of John and see all the statements Jesus says about himself and see if you believe it all. Wow. It, it's, it's an interesting perspective. And, and so John is presenting this Jesus as this, this grandiose figure, the word from the beginning. John is the one who says he's the word from the beginning. He doesn't focus on word and became flesh. He focuses on the word from the beginning. And he talks about Jesus being this ridiculous figure. And he makes a point that John 3.16 and he came for you. So Jesus came for everyone, but did he arrive as everyone thought he would? 
So here's the problem. Most people have been misinterpreting Jesus for over 2,000 years. Actually, it goes further back. Jesus started being prophesied over 3,500 years ago. And even the Jews pre-Jesus were already misinterpreting how Messiah would come. So what I want to get into today is from the story of John, it's four types of people, but it's actually four filters that we use to relate to Jesus. And I want to talk through those, and I want to talk about what it looks like and how to break it so that we can be pure to be powerful as we go forward. So the first, did I say the name of my message yet? (laughs) Almost. In the spirit of Christmas, it is called, do you see what I see? Because this really is a question John is asking you, do you see what I see? The first person who sees Jesus is the fool. The fool is the person who just doesn't even care. Hey, Jesus is doing these miracles all throughout the book of John. Come and see. Look, come and see what he's doing. And the fool's like, nah, I don't need to. Why does the fool say that? Well, it actually says in John 3.18. So right after John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it goes on to say this. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The reason we turn away from Jesus isn't because of proof. It's because of shame. So you think about this. When people who have not yet had a revelation of Jesus, they turn away because, I don't need that, right? But when you hear the gospel and you start to come to this place of, maybe there's something to this, and you still say, no, nah, nope, I don't want to do this. Wow. It comes from this place of shame. It really does. Right. It's, and here's the thing. It's not just for the unbelievers, even us. How many times have you found yourself relating to Jesus and you have a problem in your life and you say, I'm just going to deal with this on my own. I'm not going to bring this to Jesus because of shame. And so how foolish is that to not even come to Jesus when you need something? Even as a follower, we all can have these moments of foolishness where shame keeps us from even bringing something to Jesus. Look, I've been there. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there. There's an aspect of your life that feels broken, that feels dirty, that feels shameful. And you say, that's, that's just my little thing. Hopefully no one finds out about it. Wow. Wow. Meanwhile, that area of your life is in bondage. Wow. Wow. That, that is what the fool did. And, and all throughout the book of John, there were people who were fools and literally said, they said, Jesus is doing miracles. And they said, nope. And... These were Jews saying that. These were Jews who had studied the scriptures. Remember, every Jew had to learn the scriptures. It was a part of life. They all knew the scriptures. They had all heard things about the Messiah. They hear that this might be the Messiah, and they say, no. And it's because there's darkness that fears light. Light always wins darkness, doesn't it? Right? There is no such thing as darkness. 
Darkness is the absence of light. And so the fool in us can, can come out, and it's, it's not a place we want to be. And that's the foolish part of us. We don't want to be there. The next person I want to talk about is the Pharisee. So we're all familiar with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were the Bible scholars, the teachers. They were the law abiders. They were the ones who mocked Jesus and tried to kill him. And so, so what? What is it about the Pharisees that got so torn up about Jesus? You ever think about why? So the Pharisees, they were the keepers of the law. They, they were the best of the best. They could recite all 632 laws of Moses, and they swore that they kept them, and they did all of these things. They had all the power in the community because they were viewed as the most righteous. And here comes Jesus. And Jesus is hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, and all these people. And they're looking at this, and they're saying, wait, 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 wait. I thought... Messiah was going to come and be very proud of me. The Pharisees had been doing the right things for so long, and their expectation of what Messiah would be would be someone who comes, gives them a pat on the back, and says, well done, good and faithful servant. And here Jesus is scolding them, yelling at them, saying, you did it wrong. Oh my gosh, that is life-shattering. To be a Pharisee, to say... I have worked my whole life to do things perfect, and all I wanted you to do, Messiah, was come and validate me. And because they could not deal with the scandal of grace, they could not hang with Jesus. They wanted a Messiah that would validate them, and so instead, Jesus threatened them. Not only did he threaten their entire worldview of salvation, he threatened their influence over the community. And so the Pharisees did not get breakthrough on their own. And so you think about this in our lives. How many times have you gone to God and said, I deserve this miracle. I deserve this breakthrough. I deserve this promotion. I deserve you to do this. And it doesn't happen. God, why aren't aren't you coming to me? I've I've done enough. Haven't I done enough for you to come into my life and break through on this area? That's pharisaical. Think about this. Uh, we, we think a lot that we need greater faith. The Pharisee in us is the, is the part that says, maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to serve harder. Maybe I'll get my miracle if I pray harder. The Bible says you have little faith, right? Jesus often says to the disciples, you have little faith. But do you know what the word little means? It doesn't mean small. It means short-lived. Because the Bible also says if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains into seas. So it turns out that we don't need bigger faith. How do you you have bigger faith? I have faith. I have bigger faith? I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying. Hey, hey, maybe you need to pray harder. How do you pray harder? Like, okay. I'm not praying hard enough. I'm going to get some dumbbell curls. In the name of Jesus, I declare this thing will come through. How, how do you, how does one pray harder? Has anyone ever been in this place where you, you needed a breakthrough and it didn't come 
So you just pressed in more. You did more of the things. I'm, I'm going to serve harder. I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to have bigger faith. And all you end up is frustrated. And then, and then you begin to say, maybe Jesus isn't the Jesus I thought. Maybe he's not the God of my breakthrough. Maybe he breaks through for other people, and my lot in life is just to not have this. Uh-oh, our expectation is beginning to shift. Do you see what I see? The Pharisees thought Messiah would come one way to validate their behavior, and he didn't. And so they get stuck. And so in us, we, we get stuck in this place. If I only did more. You know, we talked about that the Bible doesn't say you need big faith. It says you need repeated faith. Keep pressing in. Keep following. You know, has anyone ever heard, heard the phrase, faith like a child? Yeah. That is not biblical. The, all the time, the, there are books of wisdom, and there are books of, that say, elevate your thinking, right? Have, have mature faith. Paul talks all the time about your faith maturing. The Bible does not say have the faith of a child. The Bible says have the humility of a child. It says, unless you come to me like one of these, humble. What is the humility of a child? It's knowing that they are a child and that there is a parent above them. Humility is actually about proper orientation. So, so the Bible doesn't call you to have childlike faith. Don't believe in your miracle like you believe in Santa Claus. Right? What you want is a mature faith, but the humility of a child, which is, oh, I go sit in my father's arms, and he has me. And that sparks more faith for breakthrough than any amount of intensity you can put in your prayer time. Did you know that? What the Pharisees miss, the Pharisees miss is that relationship with the father. They, they, they lack humility, not because they're obviously prideful, but because they have improper orientation. So in John 5, 38, it says, you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify me, the scriptures. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Basically, he's saying, you search the scriptures for what you should do. You never search the scriptures for me. How often are you searching the scriptures for answers when you should be searching the scriptures for Jesus? Wow. Your breakthrough isn't built on your ability. God put every ability in you. You can't come to God and say, but I'm the greatest worship singer. I'm the greatest prayer. I'm the greatest this. I'm the greatest that. Why, should, why aren't you blessing me? It's like, well, that was the blessing. Remember, we don't, we don't work towards validation. We work from validation. And so do you see yourself in relationship? When we find ourselves thinking about what to do or what we deserve, we're basically saying, hey, Jesus, Messiah is supposed to come to me and validate me, but Jesus is saying, no, come to me. He said to the fool, come and see. He says to the Pharisee, come see me. Right? The next person that we have is the fan. So the fan is the person who sees Jesus. And they get really excited. Look at this miracle, man. I'm going to go to every conference. I'm going to go to everything. I'm going to stand up front and worship every time. I'm going to go everywhere that the Holy Spirit is moving on people and never take them home with me. Wow. The fan. Think about the 5,000. It was actually probably closer to 12,000. The 5,000 represented the heads of household. Thousands of people Jesus is feeding with one boy's lunch. 
and he's preaching to them. I mean, they're hearing the best preacher in the world or the greatest sermon. There's free lunch. This is, this is the type of Christianity I can get behind. The session ends. They all kind of go away. Everyone's talking about it. That was so cool. That was so cool. I'm such a fan of this. Jesus goes and walks on water because he needed some alone time. It's the only way to get away. So he breaks the freaking rules of physics just to get some quiet time. And so he, he literally feeds 5,000, preaches to them, walks on water the other side. The crowd is waiting for him on the other side. And they're like, hey, that was so cool. What else are you going to do for me? Watch this, watch this. John 6, 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then the crowd said to him, So what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform? (laughs) That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? So pause on this real fast. Jesus says, Do the work of the Father. They say, What work shall we do? He says, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Notice, it's you believe in him who he sent. Right. These, those extra describing words are saying, believe in the actual Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? He's saying, don't just believe in the guy in front of you. Who is the Jesus that God sent, not the Jesus that you see? Wow. The work of life is to believe in who Jesus really is. The work is not the work of the Pharisee. But the, the, the issue with the fan is they wanted their needs met, but they didn't want to go any further. They, liked, they craved comfort. They craved good feelings. They craved things that made life smoother. They, these were the people who give prosperity gospel a bad name. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. This was the crowd <laughs> who thought Jesus was going to come and serve their needs. And here's the thing. They have the conversation. What, what sign will you show us? And Jesus says, um, excuse me? Look, if you come to me, you will never go hungry again. And they go, um, that's not really a sign. And so they start arguing with him. Like, look, I, I will give you living bread and living water. I'm like, no, well, it's still weird. And then he gets upset and he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> And they're like, that's it. We're done. This is clearly not Messiah. This guy's a little loony. And they walked away. The, the fans walked away because Jesus gave them something hard. And it wasn't serving their needs. See, the Pharisee wants Jesus to come and validate them. The fan wants Jesus to come and serve them. The other thing that the fans get caught in, it's, it's not just the blessings and the breakthroughs. Like a fan says, God, give me my miracle. God, give me my miracle. God, give me my miracle. And it's, it's, they're so miracle-focused that they don't see the miracle maker. That's a, that's a sign that you're caught in the fan category. It's more about what Jesus can do than about Jesus. The other thing that the fans did 
is they came up to Jesus and they said, hey, we heard Messiah was supposed to kick Rome out of Israel. Because honestly, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of oppression. This shouldn't be like, Rome shouldn't be here. Messiah, you're paying their taxes. You're doing what, you're, you're not kicking them out of here. You're saying your kingdom's not of this world. There's, there's supposed to be a justice in the earth. See, fans get caught up in injustice. Justice is seeing something as it's supposed to be. How many times do we go to God and say, this is how it's supposed to be? It was so easy to, for the fans. They were the ones saying, I thought Messiah was supposed to do this. And there goes the opportunity. You must not be Messiah. And the fans missed out on it. Our need for justice actually keeps us from seeing the God of justice. God promises full justice into every area of our lives. He can't bring it unless we release it. And our inability to release justice on something will absolutely keep us stuck. I can't tell you how many times I've done ministry and prayed with people to release their need for justice. Okay, God, I forgave the person, but there's still a problem. So, are you so caught up in what Jesus needs to do for you that you don't trust he has a plan for justice? So you're not trusting that God can restore. You're seeing things through a selfish lens. The, the fan in us is so caught up in, in, in creating a world that's perfect for us that we're living in a fake world. Does that make sense? So we gotta be very careful. When, when we're acting like a fan, we're telling Jesus what is just because he needs to know. He's not doing anything about it. He needs to bless me. That would be justice. I've been working for a promotion and that promotion hasn't come. Justice would be that I get this right now. Whoa, that's, that's prideful. That's selfish. And again, you're seeing the blessing more than you're seeing the blesser. Which brings us to the final person. And here's the thing. The final filter that we use is still imperfect. Remember, I said no one, no one in the book of John did it right. But this group did it anyways. And the last group I want to talk about is the follower. These are like your disciples. So think about this. So when Jesus told the crowds, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they all departed. The next thing that happens in, in John 6, 66, mm-hmm, think about that. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's the 666 verse for those of you who are too um, eschatological, you know, too end times focused. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They, they, just, they couldn't deal with it. The rhetoric was too much for them. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We got no place else to go, right? But you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. L listen to this answer. Do you also want to go away? Yeah, they probably did. That, that thing that Jesus said probably wrecked them as much as it wrecked the crowds. But there was one thing they realized. 
Lord, to whom else shall we go? Who else has the words of life? I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm willing to believe that you're the guy. Does that make sense? They, they followed him, not with perfect faith, but with pursuant faith. Like they let go of their hangups. They, they were willing to die to who they thought Messiah needed to be. You're not the, you're not the Messiah of, of the Pharisees. You're not the Messiah of the fans. I don't, I, I don't know what kind of Messiah you are, but something's happening here. You're walking on water. You're turning water into wine. You're saying these ridiculous statements and God is backing you. I don't get it, but I'll go with it. That's, that's actually what the followers did. They, they made the decision to say, I don't understand, but I'll do it anyways. And here's the thing. The disciples walked with Jesus in blindness. It, it even says so that they, they, they didn't know what was going on, but they just kept following. The disciples were the only group that were more focused on the person than the miracles. They saw the Jesus behind the miracles. They saw the Jesus behind the parables. They, they saw something else was going on and they chased the person of God, not the power of God, not the validation of God. Listen to this, John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I've made known to you. Those who stick around get the answers. You're not supposed to walk in blindness forever. Yes, faith has an element of unknown. When you first walk into this life, there are unknowns. But Jesus answers those. But it doesn't stop there. As your faith matures and you grow, there are continuously more and more unknowns in life. Are you following your expectations and assumptions? Or are you following Jesus? Jesus will always bring you in a greater understanding. If you feel like you're supposed to walk around in this life with blind faith, you're doing it wrong. Those who follow Jesus get their answers. Not those who proclaim Jesus. Those who follow Jesus get their answers. And how does, I mean, who wants some answers in here? I can't tell you how many times I've gotten stuck on something. My, I've acted like the fool or the Pharisee of the fan, and I've said, this is my expectation of something that you should be doing. And I don't get it. And God says, would you like to come up and hear my thoughts on this? I'm like, eh, probably not, not gonna like it. And, and you take the time. And how many times do you pause and say, okay, God, what are you actually doing? How many of your prayers have that phrase? What are you actually doing? Can I tell you he answers? The, the reason that my life has gone so well in so many ways is I learned to ask that question. I learned to put my focus not on what would happen, but on Jesus. And he's revealed things to me over time. He's actually, I've said, hey, what are you really doing? And then he shows me and I say, well, I was an idiot. Glad you didn't pick my way. It's true. But here's the thing. The, the, the followers are blessed with, with glorious knowledge from Jesus. But Jesus left the earth. Jesus is up in heaven. We don't pray to a God who's up there. What did he do? He sent his spirit into us who can reveal all things. We have an advantage that the disciples didn't have. They actually had to walk blindly with Jesus. They only had their senses to observe. We have an advantage. When we choose in faith that we're gonna follow Jesus. It's not because we understand it, it's because we see something on it. 
and he puts a spirit in us and blindness becomes light, darkness becomes light. And it's not just because the spirit is in us, but it's because we walk intimately. His whole, the Holy Spirit in you is Jesus in you. You can talk to him as if you talk to Jesus and you can ask him questions. And because the Holy Spirit is in us, those steps of faith, we, we step in faith, but understanding follows. And you begin to see clearer and clearer who is the real Jesus. You don't have to live not knowing. You don't have to live disempowered. You don't have to live stuck. If you can choose to follow Jesus enough, you don't fully understand it, but you know there's something on it, and you're going to give yourself over to it like the followers. He will bless you with his spirit inside of you that will reveal all things. And that, it's in the relationship. The fools wouldn't even look. The Pharisees and the fans said, Jesus, you come. They had different expectations of what he should do, but they both said, Jesus, come. The followers said, I'll come to you. Are you willing this morning to come to Jesus? It's, it's an act of faith now, but understanding does follow, I promise you. And so I want everyone to close your eyes right now. As you're hearing this message this morning and you realize your life is not going the way it should, or you've been having expectations of who Jesus should be, of who your savior should be, of what your path to God should be, and it's just not, not bringing you peace. I wanna invite you this morning, take that step of faith. I want you to choose this morning to say, all right, Jesus, I don't necessarily get it, but I know you're in it. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you this morning. And so if that's you, if, if it's time you haven't been following Jesus and you want to, or it's been so long and you realize you're not following him anymore, if you want to choose today to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want you to raise your hand. Come on. Yeah. You know, God sees that and he reacts to it. I'm going to give another second. If there's anyone else who's saying, all right, Jesus, I, it's time for me to follow you. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is awesome. Your whole world is about to open up. Enter the unknown, but watch as the unknown becomes known. Watch as heaven breaks open over your life. Watch as you step in freedom. Watch as you step in a purpose. And you see breakthroughs like never before. Let's repeat this together. Jesus, I thank you that you came for me. And when you said, come, said, follow you, I say yes. I give you my life. I choose today to follow you. Fill me with your spirit and your love and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.